Kamenetsky Brothers Podcast. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky coming to you. It is Friday, March 3rd. It is Friday, March 3rd. Uh, it's a good, it's good to be in March, Andy. I'm excited. Except for the Ides. Yes. The Ides make you a little nervous. Watch out for the Ides. But mm-hmm. you know, once you get past the Ides of March, then the rest is pretty Whole smooth. Whole thing's great. Pretty smooth sailing. Um, we've also reached the part of the NBA season where the stories about the Lakers, now that the magic stuff has kind of died down a little bit, the stories about the Lakers are far less interesting than the stories about everything else. Um, so uh, the big NBA news this week really has not much to do with the Lakers. So we're going to do reverse our normal process here and do the the big nba headlines after we talk lakers um no man we don't have to explain ourselves to anybody man this is our I just, this is I, our own day i don't podcast. want no, i i'm not justifying it i'm just like people might say did i skip around did i do it wrong or something like that now that now they're no you know what i say double middle fingers bleep <laughs> them man you want people to you, li- live by the seat of no, their I'm pants. I'm just saying, man. You want a podcast in your own specific order? Do your own damn podcast. I, I just, some people, Make it good enough that are, you and I listen to There it. are some nervous people who who like podcasts. No. And they, they're, they're very routinized. Let me tell you something. These people have a lot more things to be nervous about <laughs> these days do. than the order with which we but do things on our podcast. the flip side of that is when things in the real world get dicier, mm-hmm. sometimes you cling to those things that you that you – the smaller no, we are we are here to tell all those people nothing's getting better <laughs> and moving on your update for this week it's still bad yes your update is. for next week still bad. spoiler alert <laughs> spoiler alert it's it bad uh, our podcast if we record on march 10th bad no <laughs> march 17th still bad all right well that was gloomy uh let's move forward the uh, Lakers, what we've seen from them, they've, they've lost a couple games since since the last time we recorded. They're going to lose. <laughs> it's similar to what we just talked about. They're going to lose a few more between now and then. Uh, the, the, they've traded Lou Williams, and the big question becomes what what happens to them going forward? Where where who picks up the slack, particularly in fourth quarters, um, and and what does this mean? I think we can all agree the Lakers are significantly worse. Without Lou Williams. Yeah. I mean, forget the, uh, the Lakers' dependence on Lou Williams, particularly in the fourth quarter. Lou Williams has been one of the best fourth quarter players in the league. In the NBA oh, this Right, year. for sure. I mean, the, these couple seasons with the Lakers, I think have been probably Lou Williams' best two seasons of his career. I mean, he's really been good for this team, and thus far... He is not missing a beat with the Rockets. No, he's played well for them, which you'd expect. That's that's a fish. Well, it's also, a fish in water type situation. for And Lou. also, too, Lou is one of those guys that I don't think gets particularly nervous about a new setting. As Lou often, you know, when remember when the trade deadline? No, Lou gonna Lou. When when the trade deadline was approaching, yeah. and, you know, you always ask guys, you know, are you thinking about it? is it a distraction? And most guys admit, yeah, it's hard when you hear your name in rumors. Lou's response, and I think he was being a hundred percent true. I'm just going to hoop. Yep. And if and if Lou was traded to Houston, where she was, like that's a perfect fit. Like sure. Mike D'Antoni, Lou Williams, that makes sense. But if Lou was traded to Utah, he'd still Lou. And you know what? Lou, he, Lou's going to Lou. If the Nets had traded for Lou Williams, <laughs> he'd be Lewin over he, there. He'd hoop. It's a it's a it's a verb. Yep. Um So you know, but statistically, the Lakers were you know in terms of differentials and things like that, basically level with Lou Williams on the floor. It's slightly worse, but basically level without him. They were like twelve and a half points worse per hundred possessions and all that, which by far led the team. So, you know, they've won nineteen games right now as yes. we, as we're talking. Yep, stuck there, could be stuck for a little while. That nineteen games was propped up 
in part by Lou Williams. Yes, it was. And now he's gone. Yep. Um, this is not necessarily a bad thing to be significantly worse. Um, you know, lotteries and all sure. that. Yeah. Uh, Plus, at the end of the day, this was not a team set up to win a lot of games in a year. It's all about development, and that development can in some ways hopefully get accelerated right. without Lou Williams there. And so the, the fourth quarter question really comes down to two players. It's D'Angelo Russell and it's, it's Jordan Clarkson. We have a lot of Russell stuff to get to. So let's start, I think, start with Clarkson because he, to me, is the guy who is most most directly impacted by the the trade for Williams. And I talked to Walton about that earlier in the week. What's different about the, what's available for Jordan in terms of his responsibilities, what's open for him, all that, with Lou gone? How does that change? Well, he's been the prime, you know, uh, primary ball handler of that second group, and I think he's doing a really good job with it. And I think with most players, the more responsibility you give them, they kind of start playing uh, – better all over the court i think it's uh he's elevated his defensive game he's been uh trying to play make and, and get guys involved more um so i think he's done a nice job of uh of you know trying to pick up some of the slack of trying to compete without lou out there i think there's before there was a sense from him like well he's handling the ball so my job is to go score or something kind of yeah. dribble because he's still a, he's got a scoring mentality right. he's a scoring guard um so if the possessions are going to be limited uh you know his mindset is let's get this thing in the basket and i think now he's able to do a more uh more balanced type of uh attack while is there sort of some tunnel vision though with him where you just kind of pound out possessions well he's um before i mean no no he, he still does and i think uh what, the, what we're trying to get him to do is to be able to – because he, he even had – we'll tell him to be unselfish, and then he'll get tunnel vision as far as trying to drive and pass every time. And he, he has good passing games when he plays like that, but it affects his scoring. And then when he uh, – you know, sometimes when he's tunnel vision scoring, uh, it'll affect his passing. So he, he what we're trying to get is for him to, to not predetermine what he's going to do and to just let the game come to him. And I think he's done a really nice job with that lately. All right, so that was Luke Walden earlier this week talking about Jordan Clarkson. And yeah, I, I don't think I, the, 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 Lou Williams being as good as he was, Andy, was bad for Clarkson because Clarkson kind of does what Lou does, and then the rest of Clarkson's job is sort of taken up by Nick Young, except Lou was way better at it. And so I, to me it always felt like Clarkson was sort of marginalized and felt like, okay, well, Lou's doing this, so – I got to go do this. I got to go score. I got to. I got to make my. I got to justify every possession I have the ball by putting it in the hole, which meant a lot of dribbling, like a significant amount of dribbling. Um, and, it, and overall, I think that's part of the reason that I don't think he has progressed as much this year as some of the other guys. I, have. I don't. I agree with you to a point. I don't think it's the only reason. And, no, I agree. And I, I say I this just to be yeah, fair to sure. Clarkson. As much as I think, and you and I have talked about this a lot with uh, Travis Rogers during pre and post game for the Lakers at uh, ESPN LA seven ten. Some of this, I think, is legitimately Clarkson. When you look at the young core, I think his game has progressed or evolved the least of all these guys. I mean, even but also right, Russell, right, right, with his inconsistencies, correct. I think it's yes. still evolved more. And I think but, some of that is the limitations of Clarkson. And also, too, I do think with Clarkson, some of it is he has never been asked to do the same thing every year. Like, his role keeps changing from his rookie season when Byron Scott pretty much had no other choice but to use him in the second half of the season, and he was this quasi 
uh, point guard yep. to being more of a combo guard to being in the second season to being whatever the hell he is this year. It's It hasn't been the same season to season to season. And for young players to develop, a foundation of consistency really matters. Yeah, for sure. And look, I mean, he's – I'm looking it up now. I think he's 24, isn't he? Give or take. Um, and it sounds silly to talk this way, but – the metrics kind of keep showing like once you get to 23 24 25 you can improve in different ways and guys uh you know will develop a skill set or whatever it might be but yeah he's 24 he's he turned 20 he'll turn 25 in june so you know but you are kind of what you are at this point yeah i mean there there are exceptions a guy like kyle uh, kyle lowry clearly bloomed in his late 20s early 30s but generally steph wasn't steph when he showed up in the league but generally speaking you are correct so you know, I think what Luke's saying is like that what they hope is that the, by giving him more to do, by putting the ball in his hands more often, making him the guy who runs the pick and roll and all this other stuff, it will help round out that game. Because you know, the part that I thought was interesting was two parts about that. First was when he said, when I was like, you know, before would he pound out possessions? It's like, oh, no, he still does that. Um, and that, that that's something we've seen. But that the tunnel vision goes back and forth. It's not so much that he won't pass or that he's exclusively focused on shooting is that he's he struggles to do both to kind of see the floor that way it's a it's a it's a different version of the problems that russell has where he can do both and he's trying to figure out which one to do clarkson i think i guess has trouble doing one and the other i I mean i think at the end of the day clarkson really is just more of a natural scorer than he is oh for sure there's no question there's no question he he's a guy you, we mentioned before Lou Williams, and you said that you know he's somebody who can do what Lou does, but not as well. Lou Williams can, in a pinch, run an offense, and he can, if you need him to, at times set up other guys. It's not what Lou does best, and it's not even because Lou Williams is a selfish player or anything like that. It's just Lou Williams' natural instincts and his natural skill set is to score. Right. And when you ask him to move out of that skill set, it's not that he can't do it. But we've seen, as well as Lou played with the Lakers, those times where the shots aren't falling, he doesn't bring a ton. He doesn't. To the table. No, it's certainly not. You know, I know we complain about Clarkson's defense, but it's you know at least he's working at it better than Lou did. But I look Clarkson just in that young core of guys. I think Clarkson has shown himself. This is what he is. Clarkson is a very potentially very effective sixth man. Instant scorer off the bench. And there ain't nothing wrong. There's with nothing that. wrong with that, particularly for what they're paying him and the age he is and all that kind of stuff. But you know, really, what what's going to keep him from being great at that role is free throws. He doesn't get to the line. He has a remarkable inability to draw fouls, and, it, and, it, and, and that re- that's the biggest difference between him and Lou as a scorer. Beyond the Lou's ability to, to you know Jedi mind trick people and all that stuff, Lou is good for six or seven points a game from the free throw line. Yeah, and you know, it's remarkable in the sense that I have, I really have no idea why it happens because it's not like Jordan Clarkson doesn't go to the basket. Like, it's one of those things, and I, I mean, maybe you need to watch the tape more. I'd love to talk maybe to one of the coaches. Is it a matter of um, he doesn't attack enough in traffic? Does he not attack in a certain way that he's going to get the benefit of the doubt? Is it he hasn't been in the league long enough to make referees respect him. Like, I don't know what it is because it's not like you're looking at a pure jump shooter and then the reasons yeah, he, good, doesn't, he doesn't get fouls yeah, that are obvious. I, well, I mean, it's something we can look into, you know, with with Luke and all that. But I think some of it is is 
great scores. Look at Harden. Look at Lou. Look at it's not just attack, attack, attack. It's attack and change speeds. It's yeah. attack and change directions. It's and Lou is the angles and all that. It's all the little angles and the subtle things you do. And Clarkson tends to go at one speed. Yeah. Um, so you know he's an interesting guy to watch. I think obviously he's going to be on the floor more um, in fourth quarters, and will have, you know will be a person who is relied on to score and to create and do all that. Because part of the problem when you look at the Lakers down the stretch, and it was an issue who, not in the uh, it was at the Charlotte yes Charlotte. Yeah, Charlotte where they just stopped scoring mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter. Um, they don't have creators. They they traded their shot creator to Houston. You know. Clarkson doesn't really do it very well because it takes him so long to pound out a possession. Russell can create a little bit, but he's not. You he's don't. Not at Lou Williams you don't clear level. the floor right. on one side and let D'Angelo create. You set a screen for him and let him get in the lane that way. And Randall, you, know, Randall, you have to get the ball unless he starts off a defensive rebound. You have right. to get the ball too. And him. Randall, in isolation, particularly with his back to the basket, is a dicey proposition right. too. So, how the Lakers go forward, and this gets to the next conversation, which you know, to me, and I think to most people. It becomes a Russell question of well, well, what's he going to do? You know, what can the Lakers do, and what is he going to do in the fourth quarter to facilitate for himself and to get other people? Well, you know, shots? actually, before we even get into the Russell conversation, I think it's actually really interesting just talking about this fourth quarter dynamic in general because I actually, after the Charlotte game, asked Luke sort of what he was expecting with Lou gone because this was the first game since the the Williams trade. That was actually close in the fourth quarter where you didn't even have to think about right. it. Right, the, the first one didn't help. Right, and <laughs> Luke said, uh, I like to organically let it happen as far as the way the game's going, who's having a great game. On a lot of teams, it's pretty obvious who that is, but with us, I'm not going to force it to make one guy do it. And then he was talking about how with this team, often the guy, besides Lou Williams, the guy taking over in the fourth quarter, taking a lot of shots in the fourth quarter with the young guys, was whoever was having a really good game. Like, if D'Angelo's feeling it, he's going to keep putting up shots. If Randall, Clarkson, same thing. Maybe Brandon Ingram, too. And Luke said he's looking for guys to start taking those shots in the fourth quarter in a game when they're 4 of 17. Oh, for sure. And and right now, I think part of what Luke is doing in letting it happen organically as opposed to trying to orchestrate a pecking order is he's testing all these guys. I agree with you, and, and, that, and that's kind of where and I was going, though. That, but that's what I think. I, I, I don't think, think I don't think they can create a. I think Jul, I think D'Angelo Russell has to be. Oh, sure. The front of that pecking order because I don't think the other options oh, no, are no, no, capable no, no. I, of creating right. those opportunities that, for that's themselves. That's fine, but I think some of it. That's though, what I'm it, getting at. Oh, sure, but I think even beyond what you're getting at, and you're correct. Some of it has to do. I think what Luke is looking at is okay. Who avoids the game of hot potato? That may okay. That's that's, that's, that's a different what I'm question. Talking about that's is, a different question. I, just in that fourth quarter dynamic, you know, you are correct that D'Angelo Russell is going to be better at orchestrating looks either for himself or other guys than anybody on this team. But we've seen at times when some of these young guys are struggling, they'll pass up a shot. You know, we've seen it. A, we've seen it on more than a few. It's occasions happened now yeah, for year. sure. And Luke is definitely right now trying to suss out who's going to be looking up to put up those shots again, especially when they're not playing well. And you know, there are a lot of nights where they aren't. Um, <laughs> well, just they're not. It's not an. It's not a high efficiency squad we're dealing with here. I mean, so I all of it. It's, it's, it all reminds me of last year because everything in the end seems to be code for D'Angelo. Sure, you can put. You know, what you're talking about attitude. This that when you can call him whatever. 
it it still always seems to matter more if D'Angelo is good than if the other guys are doing. I mean, you eventually, you know, I think they need Ingram to grow into something metaphorically and literally grow into something bigger than he obviously than he is now. And Randall has kind of teased people, I think, with what his top end potential is going to be. But it still goes back to is D'Angelo Russell going to be the kind of point guard that is sort of Mike Conley, somewhere between Mike Conley and Chris Paul? Or is he going to be, you know, in terms of overall effectiveness and, and transformational power, Ricky Rubio? Right. Good player, but one where you are constantly aware that you can do a lot better. Right. There, There is a reason Ricky Rubio, as much as he can bring the table defensively, and as a passer, has been like publicly on the block for like four years, right? Because he's just got obvious deficiencies that are so odd. And though his and they're clearly never going to get and they're better. not. And his deficiencies aren't Russell's. And so I don't mean it as like a you know Russell is comparison. Right. But the point being, sure, you look at Rubio and know you can do better, despite the fact that he's going to be he could play in the league for yeah. seventeen years. He's a good player. He's a good player. The, you know, the, whether and you know, some of this gets back to his attitude and whether the body language and all that kind of stuff. And so when people talk about Russell and fourth quarters and leadership and all this other stuff, he's going to have to take the onus of what happens in the fourth. And the Lakers are going to have to give it to him because there's nobody else to do it. And, and unless I'm missing something, do you see? I mean, you you know, I don't want I don't want to clear the floor for Jordan Clarkson on one side. Of the, that is a no. bad way to try to score points because again, first, doesn't first get of all, you're going to have 24 second violations. Right, and he doesn't he's just going to keep line. pounding. You you know I it's, you can't be I don't want Young to do it because that that is pointless. It, it's absolutely. I mean, Nick Young is the one guy they know will always put up those shots. He'll put them up, but, but he won't. But, it cre- but he also you know, he can't create them. But it also it doesn't matter, right? Like at this point, they're not they're not looking to suss out what they have in Nick Young. I think they know. Like we that, all do, isn't it cool? <laughs> it is, but that that's not the point. It's not the point, and so it's got to be Russell. And, and you know, the leadership question, and people are going to want him to be aggressive and do this stuff in the fourth quarter. He didn't. It didn't really work until the end of the Charlotte game. He was balling yes, in the third, was. though. Yes, he was. And so you sort of see what it looks like. I, the leadership thing is probably most to me where I think he can learn from Magic because it's not a question of read the screen. Do I? He does. I think he does that stuff pretty well. It's body language, it's attitude, it's when you put your arm around this guy, when you push that guy. I don't think he's all that good at that stuff yet. Yeah, you know, Remember, I mean, he doesn't look. Right. The word the word I would use because I keep hearing it come up whether from Luke or from other guys and talking about D'Angelo with leadership is accountability. And just the idea of, okay, this is on me. Like it is on me to get the best out of everybody else. It he is says on, it. He says right. the right stuff. And and by the way, I mean it's not that he's he, I think he understands at the very he, least that's he, what he's supposed to say. He, he understands it, but I think and you know, maybe this is you know, a double-edged sword when it came to the accountability that you and I both were pretty impressed that he showed with after, you know, Snapchat gate with uh, Nick Young and Iggy last year. You and I both thought that he uh, He hand- knew he'd done bleeped up. Yeah, but but you and I thought that he both handled that situation very well. He took tons and tons of questions from the media, more yes. than we expected. And he said all the right things, but you also wonder if that became an exercise in learning how to say the right things. And I've yeah. heard before that there are there are some concerns that D'Angelo doesn't necessarily know all the right things to do or doesn't necessarily prioritize doing them. He just knows how to say it. Yeah, and, and there's an accountability. Yes. I think on, you know on several different fronts 
that if D'Angelo starts showing, I think those leadership qualities you're talking about are going to start exhibiting themselves. They're going to start shining through more. The thing about him, we've mentioned this, I think, on Airways, but like it, I always think it, it matters that you remember that different guys do this in different ways. They grow up faster. Some, I have no idea if D'Angelo Russell is ever going to be like sort of a like Chris Paul level of responsible, you know, Chris Paul level of maturity and all that. He may never get there, but he's 21, and not all 21-year-olds are created equal. And Julius Randle, by the way, who Walton congratulated after the, the Charlotte game, for like this is as hard as he's played all year. Like Randle looks, and this is part of it. Like remember we talked about like how every seventh at-bat, no matter the result, J.D. Drew, when he used to play for the Dodgers, should smash a water cooler. Right. Because then everybody would think he cares. Right. And so much of this is just the aesthetics of it. Randall looks like hustle almost all the time. Even when the coaches think he's not working nearly as hard as he should be, to the sort of casual observer, he's always, because it's, you know, offensive rebounds and he's up and down the floor and he's, and it just, like everything, there's no fluidity to anything he does anyway. So it always looks harder. Russell's that opposite on the opposite end of the spectrum. He's much more that JD Drew. Very smooth. It's a, Nothing looks hurried. And so when you play that way, and there's nothing wrong with playing that way in that kind of controlled way. To a point. To a point. To a point because Assuming they actually want him to speed it up. Well, no, but th- I'm not talking about going too slow. I'm talking about looking I know, but, constantly but, like you're in control. I know, but I, thi- I think that they actually... No, they will pick they, it up. They, right, but I think sure. some of that control, I think they think impedes him actually playing at the pace that they oh, want. That's, that's fine. That's the only that's point That's fine. But I just the the optics of how Russell plays make you think, and he's, because he's not Westbrook and he's not that kind of athlete, it's it's easier for him to fall into the trap of he's not really working hard, he doesn't care, he's not trying that hard, which sometimes may be true. Or he's not working hard enough. It's hard for players to learn. Okay, I think I'm going at a hundred percent. And my hundred percent is eighty at this. Look, league. man, it, that's hard in it's hard. any profession. Yes. I mean, th- there are times where I feel like I've busted my ass either prepping for a show or on something that I've been writing. I can tell you, most of the time, it's it does not show. It's not nearly it really as much doesn't as I show do. in the way that I think you're hoping. I could always do it. I more. mean, look, I can't imagine what it would look like if you did none of that. I, I mean, know. my God, it would be a dumpster fire. Yes, but, it would. But you're right. I mean, it's hard to know because there's always somebody that's going to be working more than you, and so. When you combine the fact that he plays the point guard for the Lakers, it's he's the spot the the first real spotlight guy that they drafted because he came before Ingram. It was the first you know, number two pick. They took him instead of Porzingis in the revisionist history model. He's also too at a position that save Nick Van Exel, they have had nobody potentially great at since the guy who is now in charge of basketball operations. Right. And, I mean, you're talking yes. like a 20-ish year gap. Between really effective right, point Right, without, without anybody who comes even close right. to filling that bill, other than, again, maybe Nick Van Exel, who certainly left L.A. not on the greatest of terms. And then you combine that with the fact, and I do not want to make this all about external Russell stuff or whatever, he is a cocky son of a I mean, He really is. I mean, he is, he is a, a hard person to like. In, in some ways, you know, he makes it harder for I don't care, but he makes it harder for the conversation around him than he needs to. Well, I'll tell you, too, what I think is really funny. I, I know we've talked about this before. The ice in my veins is like the ultimate example of a prism of how we the royal we 
see D'Angelo Russell. Right. Because when he's playing great, everybody loves ice in my veins. They want to see that. You know, we, we've seen a couple uh, fans at the game sink half-court shots or whatever. And they, do the, right, they do, do the it. ice in my veins. When D'Angelo is playing badly, it's this little bleep hole, you know, doing his stupid ice in the veins. You well, know, and look, I mean, it was a – He's I mean, a little it, punk, in the man. Grand he needs to worry the, about other right. things. Right. I mean, you look at it and you say, all right, son, you know, you just want to – you just managed to sink a huge shot to win your team's, what was it, like eighth game of the year. <laughs> but I'm something. just saying, You've though, lost just, 77% of your games as a It's just indicative of how we see him. That's right. all I'm it's saying. It's just like we don't – we don't – we don't we – you better be good all the time if you're not going to f- be consistently – Humble. Yeah. And, you know, D'Angelo doesn't play in a sort of a flashy way, you know, Whaler, like he jumps off the page, but there's, there is a swagger to the way he passes, to the way, like, his follow through when he passes, the way he looks off a pass. And all, he carries himself in a certain way that is cocky. He just is. Um, that mean, it can't be good. So, you know, the leadership stuff, I always, I just think that's what magic needs to teach him is to, you know, body language. How you walk when you t- little stuff like that would make a huge difference. Let me look I think it. overall is play. I don't have a problem with it. Say say what you will about how you feel about Magic taking over basketball operations. We had this discussion on the last podcast. Magic knows what it means to put out good body language. He knows what it means to understand how people see. You. Yes, and like what and it he's is a to, master at to, it to to galvanize a team when he yep. jumps into Kareem's arms after that first game as a rookie. You know, he got made fun of, and it was, but it, it said something about yep him. Um, all right, so that that'll be something to look at. And I, you know, Russell and Clarkson get a ton of shots between now and the end of the year, and I think that's something that people are looking forward to. Uh, those are most. That's really it. It's your Lakers issues, Andy. I mean, we we covered a lot of them with uh, Magic and the whole front office uh, facelift been, and stuff like that. We, we went pretty in depth uh, around the league. The big news, um, unless I'm missing something. Kevin Durant got hurt. Yeah. Like bad. Yeah. Not catastrophically bad. Not, oh, bleep, the season is ruined and the postseason's going to suck now. Kind of bad. But it's bad. Bad enough that you are concerned about the postseason. Yeah. I mean, it's not a given that he's going to be back for the uh, it, right. postseason. So it's, 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 it's a bone bruise. And bone bruise and an, an MCL, MCL sprain. sprain. They're going to reevaluate in four weeks. Right. He'll probably miss the rest of the regular season. And then, or maybe get a game or two. I, I think then... the first round of the playoffs right now is considered potentially in jeopardy. I think the they, second they round. Hope he... they, I think they think he'll be back for right. the playoffs, but they're not. I think the second round, if you start getting into that being in jeopardy, then you're looking yeah, at an injury of like, oh man, this is worse than we even thought. Right. It was. And so, look, the, the Warriors still have Clay, and they have Steph, and they have Draymond, and they have Iggy, and they signed Matt Barnes. And, and they were very good last year, but last year. They also had Andrew Bogut, who was an important part of that, as we learned in the finals. Uh, they had Harrison Barnes, who wasn't great, but he was still good enough to matter. And if you know, you trade up for KD, but if KD's not there, then not having Harrison Barnes matters. You had Festus Azili gave them some minutes. Leandro Barbosa gave them some minutes. Mari Spates gave them some minutes. You know, so they don't have. They were much more top heavy this year than they were last year. And now when you take one of those components away, they're going to be really good. Well, but they're not – It's not they feel just, a lot more vulnerable. I'll tell you, Brian, they do. And, and it's vulnerable being all relative. I mean, they're still going to be a very good team. 
But it's not just a matter of taking away one of their four stars. They're taking away their star who's having the best season of those four. Yes, been real good. And it's not even close. Durant is averaging, and I'm rounding these numbers, but 25-8-5, a steal and, a, and one and a half blocks per game. Right, and he's shooting like 54-55%. He's, he's, yeah. he's shooting 54% from the field, 38 from three. He's got a 27.6 per. His true shooting percentage is 65%. It's the best in the league among non-big men. He leads the Warriors in points, in rebounds, in blocks. The best uh, points per shot per game. He leads them in total plus minus. He's second on the team in offensive and defensive. He's, he leads them in win shares. His defense has been phenomenal. Yeah, he's been much. I mean, like he's the rim protector that they thought they'd be missing right. in both. He's added that to his game. For but sure. here's the other thing too. Like you go from a situation where Kevin Durant was this obvious upgrade from Harrison Barnes. There's no question. Even. Taking into account now. I think Harrison Barnes would agree. Right. I think Harrison Barnes' mom would agree. Right. Even taking into account that Barnes is playing really well in Dallas, it's not even close. Yeah, Kevin Durant. But once you sub in Matt Barnes, then all of a sudden, forget the downgrade from Kevin Durant. You're going from a downgrade from Harrison Barnes. Yeah. I mean, look, I'd, I'd rather think, have Harrison I, I, Barnes than Matt Barnes. I think Barnes, I think Matt Barnes will. I think he'll play. He's going. I think he, first of all, he's going to end up playing a lot of minutes. Yes, he will. I think he's going to end up playing a lot of minutes, and I think he'll do. He fits in there. because He doesn't have to score. He'll hit a corner three from that. He'll get five or six rebounds. He'll get a few assists. In in a lot of ways, he's kind of a Iggy like stat stuffer who will move the ball and do all the little things, and he fits in really well. There. He does. I don't. Disagree. But he's not that good. Again, I mean, he's not that again. Good. If you had to choose between Harrison Barnes or Matt Barnes, which you take it? Well, it depends what I need, but probably Harrison. For, I, again, from the role of Harrison Barnes last year, I would rather have Harrison I don't Barnes know. than Matt it's actually, Barnes. But it's closer than you think. At least, I, I think, you know, for all the little stuff and whatever, I think Matt Barnes might actually be a better fit. Harrison Barnes is probably a better defender. I think he's a point. better defender. I think he's more versatile. He's right. a better shooter. Yeah. Uh, well, not the version they got in the finals. That kind no, of sucks. But, but generally speaking, yeah. he's a better shooter. The vul- uh, but you Matt s- Barnes probably a better ball mover. The but. vulnerability, yeah, he is. The vulnerability part is injured because so much of this stuff is mental. Like if you go in and you're playing the Warriors, you know, even if you think you're a really good team, you know, but like, you're really going to beat Clay, Steph, Draymond, and Kevin effing Durant four times in seven games on their floor? Like when we know we got to go to their floor. Like, I know we're good, but are we that good? And all of a sudden, like, sports are weird. Sports are all about, you know, the, the making your world the best of all possible worlds. And guys twist themselves into pretzels with logic that makes no sense to play that game. Now you have an opening. Well, okay, well, you know, they don't have all those guys from last year. We can keep, you know, Clay misses some shots. Steph misses some shots. Steph, you know, Clay's... 10 for his last 20, 42 from the field. And, you know, Steph against Steph's the Bulls. Steph's been in a slump lately. Yep, Steph against the Bulls on Thursday. They only scored 87 points. And, like, if you hear, uh, if you listen 23 to people, points on 27 shots. And if you listen to people who cover the Warriors, they will they will all say, Steph has not been himself this season. I mean, he's still right. been good. But Some of that may be because of KD's right. presence and all and, that. And what did we learn over the last couple of playoffs? Steph is, you know, seven games, if you just whack on him over and over and over and over again, he becomes less effective, which makes sense. He's four and a half feet tall and weighs 53 pounds. You beat him down. So the, the, I, I just feel like mentally a team would look at this injury, and if he doesn't come back for a first round or he's diminished or whatever it might be, 
Like they're still going to be Denver in the first round, but do you do you automatic do you automatically? Although say, what, don't you want? I mean, I've, I've been I've said all year long I'm going to die on the Denver Nuggets hill, and I'm happy that they're I've been dying on that Portland hill, and I feel like I'm really you're, dying. Your your hills and you picked a bad hill. My hill's about to get my taken hill over. is doing much better. My than hill's getting hill. stormed. I want as much as I want to see like Jokic in the playoffs, and he's so awesome and all this stuff, and I think Denver is pretty good, like for a bad team. I want the Pelicans to get in right because that becomes an intriguing sure. because the you know Boogie has beaten up well, on on uh on Golden well, State. Well the Pelicans need to win games with the two of them on the floor before right. they start working about saying, making the I gotta, where they gotta figure out that but I'm saying if they could somehow oh, sure. it makes it a much more interesting at least you could look at it and be like, well the one thing that they're right. probably more vulnerable to is size and they have these two guys. I'd watch that. But but either way, it, it feels pretty foregone that no matter who the Warriors played in the first round, even without Durant, they're, they're going to win. win that series. But you go into a second round with either no Durant or Durant, or who's clearly feeling off. the effects. Yeah. Is and that it an would be absolute given that it's like Utah, Utah or, or the Clippers? Clippers. Is it an absolute given that that team beats Utah the Clippers? They're still favored, but it doesn't Memphis. feel as much a given. does not no, feel as I, much I agree a given. With you. And, and now, you, now that takes us to Cleveland. Because they've added Darren Williams and they picked up Bogut. And, you know, Williams isn't the D will that he used to be, you know, when we used to have a debate, you know, who's better, D- Darren Williams or Chris Paul? I think we the answer is Chris Paul. State Farm certainly. That's right. Um, but he's still pretty good. He's sort of quietly over By the, the last way, couple just seasons. Quick side note <laughs> as great as Chris Paul is on the floor, these State Farm commercials have demonstrated he is a mess in his personal life. Like everything that guy that's does very around his home his, just falls apart. Trees falling on him. He tried and, to build that treehouse, and he's and that cheap too, man. Oh, he keeps hiring DeAndre Jordan and D- Damian Lillard he's to do that, all the work he's around. Got his that house. weird looking baby. Man makes a lot of money. He's got a son who can't stop throwing dimes out, I know. out of a son. Pony up for some professionals. Um, I do like those commercials though. Hmm. I'm ready for that campaign. I am. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think they had a good run, but yeah. they were generally pretty funny. Um, Continue. Anyway, you know, D. Will has been kind of quietly pretty good over the last couple yeah. of years, and he doesn't have to be great. He just has to be better than who they had, and who they had was like Kay Felder. Yeah. Well, no, who they really had was LeBron. Le- right. That's but actually who they had like, was they, LeBron. They really didn't have a backup point right. guard. And it led to LeBron being on the floor just insane amounts of minutes this year because Ty Lue apparently really wants that one seed. Yeah. And and will not tell LeBron you need to step off the floor. But just D. Will and even Bogut, to some degree, being able to make plays for not other guys. Not even to some degree. It's a huge part yeah. of what they're going to be able to do. And, you know, it'll take them a little while to figure out lineups and all this other stuff. And they're going to get less pressure on them from Toronto because Kyle Lowry's out. And Boss, they got enough. They've got enough flexibility that the one season important sucks for Toronto, by it the really way. Does. I mean, He'll be, God, he needs to come back because the Eastern Conference playoffs are going to be totally boring if. If Toronto isn't Toronto, although that team with Ibaka and PJ Tucker, Tucker. I'm excited. I I will watch that. And you and I, too, we've talked about this year. Both of us wanted to see Toronto go for it and try to make some moves. You know, does it does that make them better than Cleveland? No. But like particularly if you're the Toronto Raptors and it's not like you get the pick of the litter for free agents and stuff like that. If you've got a legit opportunity, take it. And I like seeing them take it. And I'm. Nobody roots for anybody to get hurt, but you know they're like somebody's like, yeah. Did you hear what happened? A superstar went down, and you're like, you know, in their locker room, like in the part of their their mind they would never admit to. They were like, please be LeBron, please be LeBron, please be. 
Oh man, it's KD. Right. That sucks for them. That mm-hmm. doesn't help me at all. You know, because that's why you do it. You load up because weird stuff happens, right. and you take. Well, you don't know what Kevin Love's going to look like when he gets right. back. You don't know what J.R. Smith is going to look like when he gets back. I think you do. Well, okay, you don't know how good he's going to look. You do know exactly, I think you know exactly how it's going to look like and how, what, and how it's going to play and all that kind of. I know exactly what it's going to be when J.R. Smith comes back. won't even have a shirt on. But, you know, you take you – D-Will and Bogut make a big difference yes, for that they team. They've loaded up, and they – forget, they won last year. And so that becomes but a, also, a I think the series. biggest difference those guys make is hopefully, if I think if everybody just uses common sense, they prevent LeBron from potentially hitting that wall. Right. Because or, I think that is a big threat right. with them this year. Because even if he's going to play – and he's going to be on the floor for 37 minutes. Five more possessions a game where D. Will does the the facilitating of the offense, and he can finish it, or just stand in the corner and rest for 10 seconds. <laughs> Which is a lot of what happens. No, I, like, know, you know, I know. Go. I'm I'm going to take this possession off defensively. Well, as the games get more important, it's harder to do that defensively. But okay, I'll take the offensive possession off right. because Bogut can do out of this. And yes. Whatever, and you only need 17 to 22 minutes of Andrew Bogut and any and focus Bogut, despite that picture that's been going around on the internet where he looks like he's <laughs> yes, 95 he years old. He, lo- he, he looks like, like Lincoln at the end of his, like at the you know, right before he got he shot. Looks like, he looks like a wax museum version of Andrew Bogut. Like a, a melty wax, like yes. a wax museum where the, the air conditioning, the right, it's been, oh man, like as an intern Dude, who's going to get Madame fired. Tussauds. Oh, so I am in deep trouble. Um, that's what he looks like in that one picture, which is really a shame. It's it was a tough moment. Um, but you know what it's sort that, of like? It's like, remember, uh, you and I did a It does a, have a, a very lincoln look. You and I did a recent show, um, I think, filling in for Thompson Trudell. Mm-hmm. And I noticed in, in talking about how— Oh, yeah, with LeBron. LeBron. If you look at LeBron's photo for his stats page on ESPN, and every year they do a different photo— LeBron looks tired in that photo, and that was a preseason photo. Yeah. That wasn't even LeBron during the season. He should be more Like, I'm perky. telling you, LeBron has been to six straight finals. He looks tired. He's going to sleep for a long time once it's all over. He's going to um, sleep when he's dead, which may be soon. Um, so, yeah, I mean, hopefully that all comes together. Hopefully, KD, it's closer to that four-week thing, and he's back on the floor. Because you, you don't want the injuries to mess with the playoffs. No, you just don't. Not I mean, at all. I want to see Houston. I mean, Houston Golden State could be a fun series. I think you want U- Durant back. I don't think anybody wants to play back. Utah if they're healthy. Back. I don't want. I mean, the Western Conference outside of the eight seed actually got some intriguing. Like the Clippers, because of the way they've fallen, now all of a sudden become like a really frightening six yeah. potential six seed. And I wouldn't the, want to play. And them. in the meantime, too, I think in the East with. Like the early rounds, they're going to be the second round and on. Good second round, and on. I mean, Washington, Washington Chicago, really well. Washington, Washington, Toronto, Toronto Boston, Boston, Cleveland, Cleveland. four legitimate teams. Th- those could be really good series. Again, assuming Washington's been one of the best teams in the league over. Right, the last and they just two picked months. up Brandon Jennings, who, by the way, I think is and probably excited out of his Boyan mind. Boyan Bogdanovich, excited out of his mind, and no longer be a Nick. Uh, well, he he was a, always a good fit for the triangle. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, they're know, run- it's a professional seg. They're running the triangle. Yeah, they're now. going back to the triangle. Yeah. And Jeff Hornacek has not wanted to use the word triangle very much this year, and everybody else doesn't want to use the word triangle. But they're adding more triangle elements, Andy. And interestingly enough, and this actually, he's it's being mocked in New York more than I think it should. The biggest reason that they're introducing more triangle, need more triangle, is to help their defense. Uh, the thinking being a more structured offense, and this is something that Phil talked about all the time in, in when he was here. You know, better defense can mean better offense, or better offense can mean better defense. Yes, 
uh, the the more structure they hope yes. will make them better defensively. The more There's your offense falls apart, the more your defense becomes vulnerable. Um, and, so, and also, too, if you ask Charlie Rosen, the triangle is the best way to utilize the talents of Sasha Vujicic. It does. It does figure out a way <laughs> to get Sasha back bananas. What's the name of that? It's like Fan Rag Sports or something. Uh, just Google Charlie Rosen, Sasha Vujicic. Oh yeah, there it is. He, uh, Charlie Rosen, who I think everybody knows, is basically speaking for Phil at this point in ways that Phil can't do. He is do. Phil's Sean Spicer. <laughs> <laughs> He's his Cyrano. Um, but uh, one of the things Charlie Rosen just wrote about in cutting Brandon Jennings, the reason they did that is in very large part it helps uh, – Unleash the magic that is Sasha Vujicic, well, just proven means, triangle he's, veteran. He's gonna, it's going to mean more opportunities for Sasha to get on the floor. <laughs> he described in this piece Sasha Vujicic as a proven, proven shot, shot maker. maker. I was like, get the bleep out of here, I mean, He's, he's made Rose. shots. I don't think Sasha necessarily fits he's in that category anymore. He's not a proven anymore. shot maker. Certainly, certainly not anymore. You, you ask Laker fans on the, you know, in the aggregate – if they thought of Sasha as a proven shot maker. I think he was a proven hairband wearer. <laughs> He's a proven Proven annoyance. volleyball lover. Beach volleyball lover. <laughs> proven vintner at this point. Yes. He better be. His his least expensive bottle is like $75. Uh, but he's a proven shot maker. I don't, I mean, it's, 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 a very, it's a very optimistic. It's an optimistic view of... Sasha Vujicic that I don't think is necessarily shared by Knicks fans. No, uh, but it part. Of, <laughs> look, I don't the triangle. I never. One of the things I never understood about the triangle is if you asked the coaches about like what is it and their principles and this and that, everything seemed to be triangle. Like, what if you want to do that's uh, that's the triangle, but what about this? No, that's also. But like this thing is the opposite of that thing. That's fine. It's still the triangle. Like I, I feel like it becomes a catch-all for like every single thing you can do with a basketball. It, it's except ba- for it's, basically it's put this, Kobe on one wing and let him. It's the Xerox of basketball. I and I'm, I'm missing some nuance. It's the I'm Kleenex, sure the Kleenex of basketball. And you know, but they look. The Knicks could use a little something. Not sure that's it. But they. What the, the biggest thing they got to do? Got to pick a lane. You can't decide. You can't be you know half one kind of team, half another kind of team. You know the Lakers went through this. Where they they got Mike D'Antoni, but they gave him a roster of dudes who didn't necessarily fit that system. Then you go, you know, you have you go to the next guy, and you give you know Byron Scott, and what do you do? You give him a bunch of young people, and we all know Byron Scott hates children, and so that didn't work. I mean, you pick something and be that thing, but the problem is. The thing that they want to be doesn't work because they have Carmelo Anthony. Well, it also it doesn't work too because you have a, you have a lot of players who have been coached throughout their entire careers going back to high school in ways that don't fit for what you want to do with the triangle. Except for Sasha Vujicic. Except for Sasha Vujicic. <laughs> proven who, shot maker. Proven Sasha shot maker. Vujic. I mean, Derek Rose was recently asked about this, yeah, and that's um, a great answer. <laughs> do you want uh, to run when the triangle? It, when asked if he yeah. was grown more comfortable with the triangle, his response was, bleep, do I have a choice? Yep. Do I have a choice? But then later he said, when you're out there, quote, I still don't have a feel for the entire offense yet, but I pick and choose while I'm out there. You think, don't F up the game. That's a great way to put it. Just don't mess up the game. Looking at a lot of film, you learn. 
that's not how you got want no. guys playing. No. They, you, they're playing from that's, a place. The of, triangle is not a thing where you can do. No, the whole halfsies. point of triangle. The whole point of the triangle. If you ask, you know, you and I covered the teams running it, but also guys who really understood it. You're not supposed to be thinking at all. No, like I mean, under, thinking, but, you, but to but you, to get to that point requires well, it's it's practice like, and repetition and all this. It's it, when people say they're going to put in elements of the offense. Like that, that can work. Except you, you know, in the Lakers, like second half of games, fourth quarters, they didn't run a lot of triangle. But everybody on the team knew what it was. No, it's a foundation that you work. It's it's like when improvisation improvisation happens in jazz or happens in improv. You know, you you have a a really specific foundation for what you're going to be doing and an intricate knowledge, and then at that point, you you can break from the playbook. You yes. know, you can break from the blueprint. But you have to Once have you know the, the foundation rules and you can mastered. break it. Exactly. And, you know, so it, this is um, indicative more than anything. I don't think people are listening for for us to break down the intricacies of that of word, that. <laughs> <laughs> of the triangle. And, and, and you know, I hope not. This is a terrible podcast for that. But I think it's indicative of a Knicks team that still doesn't quite know Andy if it's fish or fowl. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, we, we know it's foul, but... <laughs> Does it have potential to be fish? Um, all right, you want to talk a little bit about Bill Paxton, who died. Um, it was over the weekend, wasn't it? Yeah, or, it was uh, actually the day before. It was the, the day Oscars. of the Oscars. It was the morning of, I thought. Either you're I think right. it was the morning of. Okay, it may have been morning of it. Day, day before. before. That's what I thought. It was. It was the Saturday. The Oscars, uh, in my mind, begin on Saturday. Right, and you know, Bill Bill Paxton was just one of those really cool actors. Who had a really cool career. By, by the way, too, I had actually just listened to Mark Marin's uh, WTF podcast with Bill Paxton, and it was the first time I, even in like decades, really, of watching Paxton. I'd never heard him interviewed at that length before. Mm-hmm. And the thing that really stood out, and especially feels poignant in his unexpected death, um, was just how nice a guy he seemed. So, yeah, he was and, one of those people that that. Nobody in Hollywood had a bad thing to say about him, and which he, is hard to do. He also just seemed incredibly grateful for his career. And a lot of people may not realize this, but he began, I didn't know this, but behind the scenes working on like Roger Corman movies and stuff like that, you know, doing tech stuff. And then he sort of randomly got the opportunity that he really wanted, which was to act. And, you know, he had some. He had some luck that broke, you know, finding a kinship uh, and an opportunity with James Cameron and some other stuff. But he he's one of those guys that was like almost like like a working man's character actor. You know what I mean? Because I, yeah, like a lot sure. of times you think of character actors as like these thespians. And Bill Paxton never really came off as like a thespian. But if you look at the over the course of his career, he really had a wide range of roles, and, yeah, and he, I mean, was always, look, I mean, look, he was always interesting and we were, fun to like, watch. You know, when you when you do Paxton, you inevitably will go back to Twister, or you know, it, it, you, you can't, can't predict, predict it. it. It just happens. You know, it's like there's, it's he's not game over, man. Right, he's not Paul Newman, but that's and that's not the point. Well, it's the voice is so specific, right? Too. But. You know, you, you look at some of the movies that he was in. He's great in A Simple Plan. He's so good. That, you know, that's but, my favorite of any of his roles. For people who haven't seen it, it's a Sam Raimi movie with uh, Billy Bob Thornton and Bridget uh, Fonda, Gary Cole, these two brothers, Billy Bob and Bill Paxton, who were very good friends in real life uh, in rural Minnesota. They discover a crashed plane in the middle of the snow filled with millions in drug movie. money. And they decide movie. to keep it, and just the web of lies spins out of control with just these 
As Massive. as Andy, as webs of lies tend to do. Yes. What a tangled web we weave. It's just a phenomenal movie, and he he's terrific. Um, but it's just it's just sad. I mean, yep. I, I'm not like I, I got frustrated by the end of 2016 that literally any time anybody died, they were thrown in there like Zsa Zsa Gabor <laughs> dies. Yeah, I mean, and it's condolences like, to the Gabor right, family. Okay, fine. A, you didn't know she was alive. B. It's Jaja Gabor. See, she was like ninety-seven. Yes. Once you get to no, I no, I'm not playing that game with Jaja Gabor. But like this one, and it's it's obviously very sad. He was sixty-one years old. He's a young guy. Yeah, complications from heart surgery. Yeah, he's a young guy, and you and I hope, I hope you know eventually, you know, many, many, many years from now, when I die, that you, that people can recognize. The impact that you had on them by how sad they seem when you die. Yeah. Like the amount of just genuine sadness. I saw it during the Oscar ceremony because obviously, you know, they didn't have time to get him into the montage. They did have time to get the one guy from Australia who was actually alive into the montage, but not him. Jennifer Aniston, when she um, introduced that segment, the In Memoriam segment, mentioned, talked about him because he wasn't in there and had obviously just died. And had a very difficult time getting through it. And around Hollywood, it was the same reaction. And just, you know, like, it's it, you just don't think of that industry as being filled with really good people. And in part because it often isn't. It often isn't. And people who are, you know, in have achieved, you know, whatever level of stardom. And, you know, Bill Paxton probably made a you know, few million bucks a movie. And he was a rich guy and all these other things. And was apparently still just a wonderful person. And it was, you know, it was one of those things like, I I hope people people think of that about me when I'm gone. Yeah. And the the other thing, too, and and this came out a lot in 2016 because there were there were a lot of deaths of like legitimate, legitimately iconic Prince. I mean, mean, oh, sure. I get all that. But but not Josh. No, no, (laughs) it's fine. But what I was going to say was like and Paxton is a reminder of this, too, because he's somebody that his career took off in the 80s with, like, you know, Terminator and, you know, Weird Science, right. Chet, you know, which probably is his best, probably his best known role. I love He's Weird so- Science. Oh, this is a great story, by the way, that he told in the Mark Maron interview. You know the uh, the scene where the the two guy the two geeks, I, I forgot the actor who plays uh, uh, I Wyatt I but, uh, or Garrett, whichever one is in Anthony Michael Hall. <laughs> But uh, you know, they're Wyatt hung- Gary is Anthony Michael Hall. Uh, Wyatt, I, I forgot the actor's name, but they're hungover, and uh, Chet Bill Paxton goes up and he says, "How about a nice greasy pork sandwich served in a dirty ashtray?" That line was improvised, and it actually came from Paxton's dad, who who seemed like a real character, used to say that to Bill and his brother when he knew that they were hungover. And was trying to get them sick and feel queasy, basically just <laughs> effing with them. That was a line that he used to use, and like I think he improvised a fair amount of stuff, not just in Weird Science, but like in a lot of other movies. That's interesting. You hey, wouldn't because you wouldn't think of him as you know. Well, he, he, Elon he, Mitchell Smith played Wyatt. I will forgive myself. Yeah, uh, but, it's not know, worked since 1991 when he did a, an episode of Silk Stockings. But like you know, guys who started making their presence known in the 80s when you know when I. You know, as a teenager in the 80s and like a product of the 80s, like started really becoming aware yeah. of like movies like and music and TV and like really you really start to develop a passion for that stuff when guys of that era that you grew up watching 
start dying, you start to become really aware of your own. There's mortality. no question. Like, Dave, not to try to make it about yourself. No, no, no. But I understand. But when but David, like when David Bowie died. died, yeah, that was obviously very sad. And you know, it was, it was young. You know, by our standard, he was, certainly didn't need to. He was young, but and, but I, David Bowie is of an era where you know his heyday was before I was born. You know, or certainly long before I was sure. really aware. I mean, I caught the very you know, let's dance and China doll or, or China girl and all that. I mean, which is fine, but you know, Ziggy Stardust was before I was born. You know, when like the Rat Packs, the Brat Pack starts dying, or people start to get older and all that. Like that, those are movies that, like you say, it's different when it's of your like. We are both old enough now that we have you know friends whose parents you know it's like. You, this stuff, you know, it's impossible not to think of yourself, your family, people around you, where you are in your life when stuff like this happens. I went to a funeral yesterday for somebody I didn't know, you know, supporting friends of ours, um, my my wife. I didn't know the guy, but like you see things that your friends are doing and going up, giving a eulogy for a, a father, for a father-in-law, and you know that those moments are coming and we're we're both you know we're lucky both of our parents are alive my wife's parents are still alive but like you know these things are coming and you know that you reach a certain part of your life where changes in your life are are difficult to make and all of these things contribute to that it's not about making it about you in the sense of but like it's impossible to avoid that it's also too i mean you make it you make it to a certain degree about yourself with, you know, with someone like Bowie or Prince or, you know, we're talking about Bill Paxton because they mattered to you. Yeah. I mean, like they actually, you know, as much as somebody that you've never met, you know, can matter to you, they had influence over you. And, you know, seeing these artists and, you know, people, you know, within their art, you know, within what they did that you thought they were masterful at, seeing them go and, you know, you know that these are people that made, again, made you care about this stuff you know, really, in, in my case, I think your case, deeply, it there's something unsettling about that. You know, or at the very least, it makes you introspective. You know, with, yeah. you know, with Paxton, you know, Apollo 13, Aliens, Terminator, you know, great line. I mean, he's a small role. He plays that group of punks that uh, Schwarzenegger says to give uh, them give him their clothes. He just looks at him and he's like, bleep you, bleep hole. And just the way he delivers it. Nightcrawler, Near Dark, Tombstone. He, was, he ended up in a lot of stuff. Um, I don't think he was ever a, you know, would be considered a great, great actor. But he's good. And right. he's the kind of guy who kind of carved out a career when you he's learn. He's always memorable. Right. And when you learn about who the guy is, then you're excited. You're, you're happy that he carved out a career because he was one of the person who apparently deserved it. I, I'll say this, too, before we go. If, if, if you want to see Bill Paxton, I think maybe it just at his most unhinged and weird it is, I preface this by saying, a bad movie. Um, it's called The Dark Backward in 1991. That's a weird movie. Uh, it's Ju- Judd Nelson, Bill Paxton, Wayne Newton, Laura Flynn Boyle, Rob Lowe, um, and James Kahn. I was like one of like seven people who saw this movie, and that is not an exaggeration. The movie grossed <laughs> less than $29,000. <laughs> Judd Nelson played... Interestingly enough, you paid $16,000 <laughs> no, for your ticket. 28% of that like $29,000 came in a $7,000 opening weekend <laughs> at one theater. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Judd Nelson plays it was a, this. It was not a commercial. Success. Judd Nelson just plays this painfully horrible comedian. He's like this sweaty, 
nervous, nebbishy mess. His career is going completely nowhere until inexplicably this third arm (laughs) starts to grow out of his back. And then all of a sudden, he ends up having this hook. He changes his name to Desi the Three-Armed Wonder Comic, and he starts to take off. Um, I'm not going to tell you how it ends, but it's also weird and as stupid as everything I've described. Paxton plays Judd Nelson's totally unhinged, lunatic friend who plays the accordion as part of his act and has this fetish for just enormous women. And it's a really hard to believe this didn't do well. <laughs> it's this really ridiculous role in a totally stupid, like wannabe midnight movie classic. But Paxton is so unhinged and crazy and committed in this role. Like I still remember him like 25 years ago in this awful, awful movie. Yeah, I think that description is going to be as close to anybody gets to it because it's got to be hard to find, I think, at this point. It's around if you uh, want to find it. <laughs> you really got to look. Again, I, I preface this by saying you're not going to enjoy the movie, but you will laugh with Paxton. Um, all right, well, that's something to look forward to. So um, we'll be back with, I don't know, something uh, at some point. Absolutely. You know what that is? Keeps him guessing, Andy. Yes, it does. Uh, all right, see everybody next time.